Welcome to another episode of Pastor Dale Walker's Leadership Podcast. We look forward to having you join us on this journey in learning how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. Remember to like, share, and subscribe to Dale Walker on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. We're there. We introduced it a couple of weeks ago. Um, let me just clarify. Is there a certain table that was just for men and one for women? I wasn't sure about that. Uh, I guess we'll just all, we'll figure that out as we go. Great to have you all. Um, I do want to mention that I have some books for sale, and they're extremely powerful. One is called Emotional Spirituality, and the other is especially incredible called Day by Day, and it's a daily devotional that goes along with this. And if you would like that, even if you don't have uh, the money or something like that, it's, uh, you can pick one up and put it in the offering or whatever. I trust you. They're, they were $15 for us. But I would love for you to consider making this a part of the study that you do because I think you'll benefit a lot. Let me just begin explaining this. We just so believe that the moment you, you meet Jesus, you begin a journey of total transformation uh, from the inside out. Uh, there's a verse in 1 Thessalonians 5 that says, May the God of peace sanctify you wholly, your spirit, your soul, your body. And how many know it's a lifelong process? Uh, I've, been, I've been at it for 45 years, and I think I'm almost beginning to grow. So hallelujah. <laughs> Recording in progress. But there is a process in which layers of things in our life are gradually removed I think of Lazarus coming out of the tomb, and uh, they said, unwrap him. He was alive, but he needed to be unwrapped. <laughs> and that's how our spiritual life really is. And there are many things, as we've described it, as you see on the book, you'll see that uh, a big iceberg, that our life is 10% what people see, but 90% what people don't see. And emotionally healthy spirituality is about that part, the part on the inside and when I, when I shared this before, I, I learned a little bit the hard way. When I first became a believer, I was absolutely on fire for God. I, I read the Bible every day. I went to Bible study. I witnessed. I preached in my high school. And if you would look at me on the outside, um, I was, boy, this guy, he's got it all. He's just changed. He's just powerful. But the truth was, there was a lot of things I was suppressing on the inside. And unfortunately, kind of the theology that we had in those days had a lot to do with, you live by faith, don't, don't listen to your feelings. And, and so we just kind of deny it. And so if I have feelings like getting angry or, or grief or jealousy or fear, I would just pretend I didn't have it. Like I remember shortly after I got saved, uh, I'm pulling in at Kmart. Remember Kmart? I'm pulling in a parking place. This guy pulls in front of me, and he seals my parking place, and all of a sudden, I go crazy. I'm jumping. I'm ready to go at it, you know, and I've just lost it. All of a sudden, I realize, oh, man, it's going to make the newspaper. Pastor gets in fistfight <laughs> at Kmart, and so I just suppressed it, but it did it go away? No, and, and there were many other things in my life attitudes and and not only in my life but I began to see people I really loved 
pastors who crashed. Uh, one person I remember, he was just so on fire, and, and he had a moral failure. And I remember him saying, I could never tell my wife, I gotta keep this secret. And very soon his whole life just imploded. And so many people I knew uh, were suddenly just crashing. And it's just like Jesus described, a house built on the sand. If the inside isn't right, the outside is eventually going to collapse. And, and, and I began to find that many people had a philosophy that we don't talk about Bruno. Yeah, we don't talk about that. We just, our family doesn't have it. The other thing I began to realize, and we'll, we'll spend a lot of time on this, is that our family upbringing has a big impact on how we learn to walk in Christ. And as we say around here, Jesus is in our heart, but Grandpa's in our bones. What does that mean? Some of the habits, some of the ways of thinking have to be unlearned. And that whole family structure we tend to bring into our, our, uh, our walk with the Lord. And what I found is that then many people start to live, I call it very sort of surface life. Vicariously, they live on other people's faith. They, you know, they... They say all the language, they praise the Lord, hallelujah, but, but they don't go much under the surface of their walk with God. In fact, I've seen too many Christians that compartmentalize things. On Sunday, they're one person. <laughs> Have you ever known someone like that? Wait a second, you're over here praising the Lord, but you're a racist, or what's, what the heck is this? Uh, you know, you're looking at porn, or you've got this going on. And they had just suppressed uh, all kinds of areas of their life and kind of lived off the, the faith of other people. There's a story about these foolish virgins, and 10 of them were waiting for the bridegroom, but five of them didn't bring any oil. They were just living off of everybody else's oil. And, and they collapsed. And I've shared before that it finally came to a head when, when although I had all of these great truths, I could preach a great sermon, but I didn't really know how to be married. And I'll just be honest with you, in my family tree, all of the males were these macho, you know, completely sort of this A personality and, you know, it didn't listen and all of that stuff. And it, it was crushing for my wife. And so as I've shared before, the day she, she says she can't do it this anymore uh, and said, one of us, I'm praying for to die, preferably you. I, I knew that this had not worked and we began this journey of unpacking all kinds of things that were inside of us. And, and it was painful, but I can tell you it was the most wonderful thing because God began to heal and restore us. We began to find out the emotions are not bad. No, emotions are, they're, they're alarm bells. They're saying, wow, there's something beneath your, the surface of your life. You need to pay attention to it. You don't live by the feelings, but you let God transform those feelings as you learn to walk in Him. Uh, Hebrews 5 speaks of a, a very interesting thing about it. It says there were all these Christians in the Hebrew church that it said they, though they were older in the Lord, it says they were still spiritual babies. They needed to drink the milk. They, they were still at the very elementary. Why? It says because they, they had never, what? They had never learned to discern the Lord's voice for themselves. They had never learned to apply the scripture down into the deepest parts of their heart. They were just on the outward doing fine. But they hadn't learned to have a vibrant, personal, intimate relationship with God. 
I like how Job said it in one place. He said, before my eyes had seen you, but now my ears can hear you. Now, now I know you. Before I, I kind of knew about you, but now I know you. And so emotionally healthy spirituality is about, about two things. One, it's going to be about the, I call it the discernment, how to learn to look on the inside and let God help you deeply be transformed by the Holy Spirit. And number two, it's going to be about getting a new rhythm of life where you learn to spend time with God every day and learn to really hear His voice. We, we like to say around here there's two parts to our spirituality. There is uh, being and there is doing. If you go to your, your second page, you'll see I have this, uh, this kind of illustration. Do you see it where the, the two circles... And, and unfortunately, a lot of people, their life, there's, there's the activity part. There's the stuff they do for God or go to church. But the time they actually spend with God is very small. What happens? The result is when you're, you're doing, is way out doing your being or connecting with God, you collapse, you know. And, and how many know there's a difference between being, a, being around God and being with God, <laughs> There are a lot of people that go around church and they go around uh, to different spiritual events, but that's completely different than connecting with God. And now, what I'm going to challenge you to do and why I would love for you to get this day-by-day -day devotion is part of the uh, thing we're going to talk about. One is, is revelation and the other is developing a new rhythm of your life. And I'm going to give you a 40-day challenge twice a day to just be still and know that He is God. And, and I'm going to try to interrupt the way our busy world works and teach you how to listen. I, I found it so interesting. Very few people know two things. Really, few people know, especially men, know how to share their feelings. <laughs> One brother was saying that he was in this congregation. He asked, how many people here at least, at least once or twice a month get together with a friend and share what's going on, your hurts, your feelings, your thoughts, and 95% of the women raise their hand, <laughs> and not a single one. They say, well, how many men? Only two did it once a month, you know. <laughs> but many, especially men, have a problem really sharing their inner heart. And so we're going to learn that. But the other part is many people have a hard time being still long enough to hear God speak. And, and the noise of the world so completely fills their minds that they are living with busy driving them rather than the Holy Spirit leading them. And so we're going to teach a lot about that. And starting next week, we'll have times of just being quiet before the Lord and just learning more and hear His voice deeply on the inside. I believe with all my heart, uh, here is one of the most important things David says at the bottom of page uh, 3 there, that... God, David said, you desire truth in our innermost being. In the hidden parts of our heart, you want to make known to us wisdom. God wants to, he, he doesn't just want us to have some truth in our head. It's when we just literally are before the Lord in a way that we hear God speak. Here's how your life changes you, you get the word by what you hear, but your life changes when you hear the Holy Spirit speak the word that you have in your head to your heart. Have you ever had that happen? 
I mean, you've, you've read a verse a whole bunch of times, and then one day the Holy Spirit just says, no, I am with you. Oh, he's with me. I, of course you know, no, no, he's with me. The Holy Spirit just told me, he's with me, you know. And then all of a sudden, everything about what you know about God changes because now you've sensed the Holy Spirit. And he's become personal and he's become intimate. Now, in these eight weeks, there's a lot of symptoms of what I would call a spiritually shallow or emotionally unhealed or immature life. And that's on page two. And, and we're going to do something. This is stuff we're going to be covering and I'm going to just read these out loud if you have them. Uh, what I would love for you to do is to just put a check mark besides any of these that may be symptoms of you have in your life <laughs> of some emo emotionally unhealthy spirituality, okay? See if, if you relate to one or two of these. Number one, using God to run from God. I keep myself busy in church activities to avoid the pain and tension I'm experiencing in my close relationships. Number two, ignoring the motions of anger, sadness, and fear. I am rarely honest with myself and others about my feelings, hurts, and pains beneath the surface of my life. Number three, dying to the wrong things. I tend to deny healthy, God-given desires and pleasures of life, such as friendship, joy, beauty, laughter, and nature. At the same time, I find it difficult to die to my self-protectiveness, my defensiveness, lack of vulnerability, and judgmentalism. <laughs> uh, number four, denying the past impact on the present. I rarely consider how my family of origin and significant people and events from my past have shaped my present. Number five, dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. I easily compartmentalize God to Christian activities while usually forget about Him while I am working, shopping, studying, or recreating. Or re recreating. Number six, doing for God instead of being with God. I tend to evaluate my spirituality based on how much I am doing for God. Spiritualizing away conflict. I usually miss out on true peace by smoothing over disagreements, burying tensions, and avoiding conflict rather than disrupting the false peace as Jesus did. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. I have a hard time speaking freely about my weaknesses, failures, and mistakes. Number nine, living without limits. Those close to me would say that I often try to do it all or bite off more than I can chew. Number ten, judging the spiritual journeys of others. I often find myself occupied and bothered by the faults of those around me. Okay, let's just take one, but let's take about three minutes and you can go to your breakout room and just share with each other at the table uh, what whether there was one or two of those symptoms that you could relate to, okay? Can you just do that for the next few minutes, all right? Just go ahead and do that. I'm and going to uh, put you in your rooms, and you're going to have four minutes. So that means everybody needs to share. And um, let me tell you, Anna, you will be the lead in your group. Barney will be the lead in your group. Alicia and um, the rest of you, you know, just... Make sure everybody gets a chance to share with me.
right straight in the middle of the front. Really? Let me give you some water. There's a few that never made it. There's a few that never made it to a breakout. Stopped. I just paused it, guys. Okay, guys, um, we're in a breakout room for just a short time. So what I'm going to do is put you in a room, but there's probably only like a minute left, and we're going to come back, and then we'll go into a room again. So I'm going to go ahead and drop you in a room, and um, I don't know how long you'll have you in there, though. We'll come back in about two minutes.
In just about one minute now, we'll, we'll come back. Okay, thanks. How did that go? Um, again, we're um, going to come back to some discussion. want to just really encourage you. Our, our theme verse is in Psalms 139. I have this on page 4, but it's, it's, it's God search me and see if there's any hurtful way in me. It is a person who is willing to come to the light. You know, there's a beautiful thing that happens. The Bible says, whatever comes to the light becomes enlightened. <laughs> and, and one of the powerful things about sharing around the table is as we just open a little door to other people, we let light, more light come in us. And when we let more light come in us, there becomes more healing in us. I, I just want to read Psalm 139, 23 from the Passion Translation. This is so beautiful. It says, God, I invite. Why don't you just say this with, with me as a prayer? It's a prayer in the psalm. So let me just say it, and you repeat it after me. God, I invite your searching gaze to examine me through and through. Find out anything that might be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is a path of pain I'm walking on. And lead me back to your glorious way. The path that leads me right back to you. To know your heart. I want to challenge you as you begin to spend time this week in the Lord. Um, I want to just encourage you to set the time. Because this is where this is going to really change you. I don't know. Many of us, the first thing in the morning is awesome. Uh, I want to just challenge you to find another five minutes somewhere in your day. Whether at noon. Uh, I usually do it at night. But to pray this on a daily basis and, and to say, Lord, not only show me my heart, but show me where you're speaking to my heart. So many people read the Bible, but they don't let the Bible read them. You know what I mean? They don't wait long enough for God to speak to you. So as you read the scripture, I was very happy many people in our spiritual survey asked for a Bible reading plan, so I'm putting out three of them this week for, for church, but one's on grace, one's on new beginnings. But what it, what, when they read that Bible, don't, don't just go about your day, but say, now, Lord, say that to my heart. Where does my heart need to hear that word? What I see uh, the writers of Scripture, they did not just hear a message but they waited for God to speak that message to their heart. 
I think of one example in Philippians 3 when Paul heard the message about grace. You have the righteousness of God as a gift, not because you earned it. And he didn't just say, oh, that's a wonderful thought. He said, well, what in me keeps me from accepting grace? And he says, it's because I've got my identity from many other things. My pedigree, I was the Jew of Jews. My religious strictness, I was strict as a Pharisee. I, I was somebody in the religious world. And he said, I had to one by one count all those things garbage <laughs> and say, no more will my righteousness be in those things, but they will be in you. And one by one, those old things fell off Paul and that revelation came to his heart. So I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit go very deep. Today, our, our main theme, and it's the subject of chapter 2 and this, the second week, and that is this idea, know yourself so you can know God. One of the most important parts of, of growing in your relationship with God is self-awareness. Um, obviously, we know how important it is to know God, but unless we can be real with ourselves, we, we will not know and be aware of how God is trying to work in our hearts. Uh, in Ephesians 4.22, we are told, put off your old self, and we love this phrase, your false self. The self that you pretend to be uh, based upon how other people see you, based upon your past, based upon your upbringing. Every one of us have something that we call, uh, what we like to call a false self. It was the part of us that before we knew God, it came out of being in the world. Ephesians 2 talks about we lived according to the gods of this world. <laughs> this is an inauthentic person that is trying in many ways to be something that's not real. And I think today, more than ever in the history of the world, we have more what I would just call a, a epidemic of inauthenticity, of faking it. You know, I mean, everything from politics. How I many you know you listen to politicians say they, they don't mean any of that, you know? Or, or social media. Even, even when you get your picture, you make you look better than you really are. You want know to say it? Which is okay. It's okay. I'm not... I'm not knocking that. But from, from the youngest age, people are learning inauthenticity. You ask a teenager right now, the average one, when they have a conversation at school, are they thinking about the person they're having a conversation with? Or are they thinking, how am I coming across? What do they think about me? Do I fit in? They, they, they're learning an identity that's some called imposter syndrome, an identity based on who am I in the eyes of those people? Or who am I in my grandiose, <laughs> narcissistic vision of myself, you know, as this crazy, great, you know, whatever. And, and that, in many ways, hinders us from growth because growth depends on authenticity. All of us know people when they come around, you just wish, you could say, I wish you could really see how you come across. <laughs> You're so religious, but nobody even wants to be around you <laughs> because it's fake. And your kids aren't listening to you. Don't you see? It's not real. Can you take all of that off? 
Can the real Dale Walker please show up today? Where are you? <laughs> Underneath all of this stuff. Are you just posing? Or have you found your true self? And this becomes huge. The Bible talks about uh, a false eye. You know, Paul talks about, he says, the eye, eye that wants to do good can't do it. It's the eye apart from God, the independent eye, the me in control eye, the me who has this image that I got from growing up in my family line that says you're this way. You, these false images of ourselves blind us and keep us from finding the authentic person that God loves and wants to know. In Matthew chapter uh, 4, uh, 3 to 10, many of you remember the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And, and what is so interesting about that is that Jesus had just had this revelation of the Father, his true self. Jesus is water baptized, and he comes out of the water, and, and God speaks to him and says, You are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why don't we just practice saying that? You can put beloved daughter in there. But let's just say it. I am God's beloved Son in whom he is well pleased. Now that's who you are. Now you do a lot of things, and you have a job, and you have a title. But let me go to the very root of who you are. Because if you don't know who you are, You'll never fully be able to know God the way he wants to reveal himself to you. Because you will be putting up defenses, you will be believing lies, you will have labels on you that keep you from this truth. So the first thing the enemy says is take up this rock and turn it into bread. Jesus, if, remember how he says it, Jesus, if you are the son of God. <laughs> See, can I tell you, the number one thing Satan wants to attack is your identity. Because how you see yourself, who you are, as a man thinketh in his heart, that's who he or she becomes. If he can, if he can get you to see the wrong person in the mirror that God doesn't see, you will begin to li live like an orphan, not like a daughter. You will live like a, a slave and not like a son. Until you understand your worth, your value is completely not dependent on anything that you were taught it was dependent on, but it is dependent on who God sees you to be, you will live below and beneath the freedom and potential you have. So the first thing he, he talks about is bread. I, I, I just de describe it this way. He's trying to say, Jesus, you are what you possess. <laughs> Look at you, Jesus. You don't have anything. You don't, have a, you don't even have a donkey. <laughs> How many know today the world often thinks that way. You are what you possess. Where you got a job. You got a handsome boyfriend, a handsome girlfriend. You got a, you got a cool title. That's who you are. Because if he can get you to believe that, he can, he can thwart God's plan. Then he says, go up on this mountain and throw your, yourself off, and then everybody will believe in you. He's saying, you are what you achieve. You are how many degrees you have by your name. You are your title. You are... Uh, who your family name is, you are this reputation, you are, you are, you are. And then he, he says, now bow before me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth and you will be adored. And that's the third lie, you are what other people think. These are examples of the, the false self 
that many of us have begun to live. Beginning to strive with an inside view of ourself that is distorted. Uh, for me, I, I can't believe how my identity was so tied as a child and a teenager uh, to I had to achieve. And, and I remember all the way back to sports, and I remember it was almost like this drug when I heard these cheerleaders say, Dale, Dale, he's our man. Give Dale a great big hand. It was, I was addicted. If I can do this on the football field, I am going to be praised. It just blinded me. I became an addict of this idea of success and this idea of I'll be great. And all of it was a false identity. And it caused me to neglect my family. You see, one of the, the main false gods of our nation is success. God teaches faithfulness and stewardship. But the world teaches titles, success, big names, ego. Which leads us to a complete false identity of comparing ourselves to other people. Not being able to take criticism at all. Uh, comparing, comparing, comparing ourselves and creating inside of us a false identity that keeps us from ever knowing who we really are. We become hollow. What does that mean? We aren't grounded. You see, the world says become successful. God says, no, become grounded in me. Success won't matter. You'll have, have it or won't have it. But be grounded. Know, you know, know who you are. Know your values. Know your integrity. Know your relationship with God. Then you won't, it won't matter. One of the things the most secure person who's ever lived is Jesus Christ. One of the things that impresses me is how he could disappoint people because he wasn't living to please men. He had disappointed his family. He disappointed his disciples. He disappointed the crowds because he wasn't living to please people. He could differentiate between what he wanted and others wanted, and he could say, these are my boundaries, this is who I am, and this is who I'm not, and this is what I'm going to be, and it really doesn't matter if you're approving or not approving. I know who I am, and I'm secure. And because of that, he could make incredible relationships. He could keep limits in his life. He didn't, he didn't burn out. He, he knew inside of him he was raw and he was real. And this is what I believe is at the heart of knowing yourself. It is coming to find the person that God sees inside of you. Through understanding his word, through giving up on the lies and labels you've had put on you from other people. It's learning to pay emo attention to certain emotions like, why am I jealous right now? Why can't I think about other people? Why am I obsessed with whatever, how many followers I have on social media? Why, why am I so disturbed that I didn't get that promotion? It's starting to look beneath all of the things that you grew up finding identity in and coming to find yourself in God. Um, we're going to really see an incredible example of an authentic, real person in the life of David next week. But let's just go a little bit deeper and discuss what I call the Saul syndrome. Because the person who probably, as much as anything, 
is an example of the collapse of a false self is Saul. And, and some of you would remember Saul was uh, elected the king and he was the first king of Israel. He started out with great success. Uh, got an army of 300,000, defeated the Philistines. And at first, he, the Lord says he was small in his own eyes. <laughs> and, and he says, oh God, I need you. And then in, in the process of time, he completely lost touch with his inward connection to God. He became obsessed with his image, what people thought of him. He began to be what we call a, a hypocrite. You know, what's so easy is when you, you begin to play act religion, but you're not real in your integrity before God. He became a people pleaser. He was unable to have limits in his life. He became obsessed when David got more praise than him. There's one passage I just want to read. It's from 1 Samuel 7, uh, excuse me, 1 Samuel 15. And, and he has this confrontation with, uh, with Samuel, who begins to speak to him and challenges him in a very specific way. Let me see if I can find that. In Samuel 15, 7, after he had been told to utterly destroy these Amalekites. Uh, he was suddenly cut corners and didn't obey the Lord. And then in verse 10, the Lord said to Samuel, I regret I have made Saul king because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. And Saul, Samuel was angry and he cried out to God all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. He was told Saul has gone to Carmel. There he set up a monument to his own honor. Can you see what's happening? <laughs> Before it, I'm going to serve the Lord. God is king. Now, hey, everybody, I'm going to make a monument to me. And, and then what happens is when Samuel reaches him, Saul says, the Lord bless you. Hallelujah. <laughs> I, have I have carried out all the Lord's instructions. Samuel said, well, what is the bleeding of sheep in my ears? <laughs> I thought you were supposed to wipe out all of those animals. You were supposed to finish that job. Um, Saul said, well, the elders brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep because we wanted some good food. But anyway, the rest we're going to sacrifice to the Lord. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul replied, although you were once small in your own eyes, you did not become the head of the tribes of Israel. Did I, did I not make you the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king, and he sent you on a mission, saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them till you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, said Saul. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites, but I brought back Agag the king. Soldiers took some sheep from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, and the sacrifice we brought to the Lord. But Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, God has rejected you as king. And Samuel said, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commandments. 
I was afraid of the men. Anyhow, I want you just to see that he began to completely cover over. Why? Because he had forsaken the most important part of his relationship with God, listening. And how many times does our, our lives get so busy we could say, well, I'm involved in church activities. Yeah, but, but are you listening to God? Well, well, I do a bunch of good work and, and I'm going 100 miles. Yeah, but, but have you heard what the Lord is saying to your heart today? Well, well, man, I've been successful. I've got all this to show for me. Yeah, but, but have, you, have you left that intimacy with God? Do you, do you know God? Or are you now just creating a false sense of who you are based on what you think people want you to be? And the end result is that his ego and his pride destroyed uh, Saul's life. And I just want us to think about that. What, what is the key to not falling into the Saul syndrome? And this just a couple of things, I believe, with all my heart, is that one, going down to D on this page six, just to be honest and admit that we have all, we have all embraced a false self at some time or other. We have all learned to... to be fake we've all learned to make excuses we've all learned to try to impress people that's part of our human brokenness and just admitting that and say God I am so sorry I am so tired of being fake <laughs> God reveal yourself to me God show me who I am and you know what he does is he shows you that you don't need any of that falseness because you are loved you are precious. You are chosen. Part of this road to humility is just being able to agree that we are all broken vessels. You know, How many can just agree today, I am greatly loved and deeply broken? I don't know. Can anybody admit that? Let's just say it in case, in case you can. I am greatly loved and I am deeply broken. And you can say to someone by you, so are you. All right. There you but we, we are. And, and the Bible calls us earthen vessels. Now, this is very important. We are more broken than we've admitted, but we're more loved than we could ever imagine. And unless you can accept those two things a part of you, you will either go to pride or denial. But when we can say, gosh, we're just broken people who are so loved by God, and He is gradually restoring to us a sense of our true identity through forgiveness through His Holy Spirit, through His Word. He's, he's restoring our identity. And it's a job that He's working on in our life every day. When we do that, we can start to lay aside ego and pride. A couple of things that help us get rid of that is, is one, just pay attention when those negative emotions are coming into your life. I am so angry. Why did I react so completely crazy then? Could it be that my identity is in how people see me or my success? Lord, is there something I need to surrender about that? Because I've made this part of my life way too important. I've become obsessed with this kind of thing and what it says to other people. I found as a minister it's easy it's so easy, you know, to, to kind of uh, 
talk the talk, get up and hallelujah, you know. It's a whole lot different to really face the truth about my heart where I'm still being healed and ask God, show me more what you're trying to do. Our relationship with other people is huge. I can't even tell you how powerful it is when we are willing to be teachable and humble people who are not only readily willing to admit the brokenness in our life, but invite feedback <laughs> without defensiveness, without putting up false excuses. I, I tell people, how much feedback do you get in your life? You get as much as you really want. If nobody's getting, giving you feedback, it's because they can tell <laughs> you don't really want it. I like to say ego is like a watchdog, you know. If you've if you got a big one, nobody's going to tell you anything because they know you're going to react. You're going you're gonna to get all weird, you know, and all of that. But when you have people who say, I just want to be like Jesus. I just want to grow. Man, I know I came across proud. Can you just help me? Can you pray for me? I can't tell you how much of that begins to cause you to find an identity that's not based in people's thinking of you or your performance, but in who God says you are. And, and just look into your own heart and say, how much of my life focuses on others? How much is it all about me? Because a false identity is always self-focused. And then come to the Lord continually and just say, Father, show me who I am. Father, show me how you love me. Father, let me hear your voice. Let me just know who I am in Christ. Now, as we, we close, there's a, there's a few questions. One, uh, back a page. You, you could look at it if you all would like to, to, to consider. But just some things, some observations. This is pretty hard, but uh, it's, it's there on page six. Uh, examples of a false self to get an idea where you are at right now. Saul pretends to be someone on the outside that he is not on the inside. Use the following symptoms of a false self to get an idea of where you're at right now. Next to each statement, write down the number that best describes your response. This is always true of me, frequently true of me, occasionally true of me, rarely true of me, never true of me, all right? So let me just go through this, and if you have a number you could put there, buy it. I compare myself a lot to other people. I often say yes when I prefer to say no. I often don't speak up to avoid the disapproval of others. People close to me would describe me as defensive and easily offended. I have a hard time laughing at my shortcomings and failures. I avoid looking weak or foolish in social situations. I am not always the person I appear to be. I struggle with taking risks because I could fail or look foolish. My sense of worth, well-being comes from what I have, possessions, what I do, my accomplishments, or what other people think of me, popularity. I often act like a different person when in different situations with different people. And everybody said, ouch. Okay. <laughs> you could go ahead and say ouch. Um, but Jen, just look at the end. We had just a few discussions. So we just want to end the time here. Take a little time and, and just... Whichever of these questions, someone, you can go around the table. The, the rules are, uh, you know, no one talks for more than two minutes. Nobody speaks until everyone's had a chance. Don't speak twice. Uh, be courteous. Listen. And, and just be there to 
empathize and pray with one another. Then we're just going to end in a few minutes of prayer. But some of these questions is, uh, as you were growing up, what kind of false identity was pressed on you by your family or by people or yourself? Can you give an example of how you've ever disconnected between what you were pretending to be on the inside and who you are on the, on the outside and who you are on the inside? Do you have an example of a victory that came when you stood up against fear or popular opinion based on who you know? And if you'd like, you can mention if one of those 10 uh, uh, really spoke to you <laughs> in some way. And so I want to invite you, uh, I'm going to just pray and then have you go to your breakout rooms. And could you just discuss those for a minute? And we'll just ask our, uh, our facilitators at the, uh, at the table to kind of get us started. Lord, give us insight. We thank you that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ, that we are yours. We are loved. We are holy. We are pure. Lord, we are daughters. We are sons. And help us today to begin to see the false images and false self that we sometimes keep and hold on to and lord today by faith we know we were crucified with christ and we choose to lay those false selves aside to be who you really made us to be in christ in jesus name amen amen god bless you everybody why don't you share a little bit thank you for listening to this episode of pastor dale walker's leadership podcast Please stay tuned for future episodes and remember to follow us on all our social media platforms. You can find more information about our courses, events, and other leadership resources on our website at hftw.church. May God bless you and have a great day.